Good afternoon and welcome to Keys to Getting Your AI Journey Started on the Right Foot, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by HealthLink Advisors. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program, just so you see how we're going to spend our time today. First, uh, first we're going to go with our panel discussion featuring Dr. Patrick Woodard, Chief Healthcare Information Officer with Monument Health, Chad Jones, SVP, Information Systems with Baylor Scott and White Health, and Tina Burbine, VP of Care Innovation and Enterprise Analytics with HealthLink Advisors. And then we will have our Q&A. So we're going to jump right in. Um, Patrick, can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, absolutely. I'm with Monument Health. We're a seven hospital system based in Western South Dakota and care for uh, the Northern Plains and Mountain West region, including parts of Montana, North Dakota, Wyoming, and Nebraska. I've been here for about eight months and we are a great rural-based, community-based system um, caring for the folks here. And I uh, have the fortune of leading our IT teams. Excellent, thank you. Chad? Yeah, hey, good uh, good morning or afternoon, perhaps. Um, yeah, Chad Jones, I'm, uh, I'm Senior Vice President with Baylor Scott & White Health. We are the largest not-for-profit health system in Texas. Um, we have, you know, just over 50 hospitals in our health system uh, and you know, have, a, have a, a pretty wide service area covering everywhere from, from Austin to Dallas. Um, I am based in, in Dallas. My responsibility specifically, I've been with the organization for seven years. Uh, I lead uh, all of our application and infrastructure teams uh, reporting directly to the CIO. Very good, Chad. Tina. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, it's great to see so many uh, friends from the industry joining us today. Um, I'm with HealthLink Advisors. We are a boutique advisory firm serving payer and provider organizations in the healthcare market specifically. And we specialize in clinical business and IT consulting. And I'm very proud to say we are top class ranked. Um, and the topic today, you know, from a care innovation and analytics perspective is near and dear to my heart when we think about AI and the impacts it's having in our industry. Excellent. We're going to have a very interesting discussion today. Um, so let's get right into it. Patrick, we're going to start with you. Um, is it important to make a distinction between true AI projects and what we'll call AI light projects? Um, if you want, if you have, if you think that's a good bucket, you know, we're trying to trying to bucket things up uh, to try and move forward in a proper way. Um, do you see this as an important distinction to help people move forward? Obviously, there are projects that are non-AI and there are projects that are AI and perhaps something in the middle. But is is it important to make these distinctions so that we, you know, do these projects correctly? You know, I think it's a great question and one that is it is certainly important to make that distinction. Um, but whether or not it includes AI light or not, I'm not entirely convinced. I think if you... The way we're thinking about AI today, I think changed dramatically in November of 2022. Before that time, if you said AI, people maybe knew what you were talking about. Maybe they were thinking about a, a sepsis detection algorithm or something like that. But with the advent of generative AI, I think everybody forgot that there's other kinds of AI except for generative AI. 
The reality is um, EKGs have been read by machines using an algorithm since the 1970s. Is that AI or is that just an algorithm? I think when you start to think about um, the way that we're making clinical decisions and the way that it impacts patients, it deserves to be looked at with the same critical eye, regardless of whether or not it's a handwritten algorithm that is not truly AI, but just a machine algorithm, versus whether or not it's a neural net that's coming up with some sort of a black box um, clinical decision support tool. So I think we need to be equally as critical, regardless of how it's being created. And so I actually would argue that AI light is maybe it's less lift on the IT team, or maybe it's less of a huge part of the project, a product itself. Maybe it's not the whole product, maybe it's just part of the product. Um, but I think we as a health system owe our patients the duty of making sure that we're uh, scrutinizing them with the same level of detail, regardless of how much of it it is in there. So just Patrick, as a follow-up, um, AI, uh, you said it could be generative or not. That that That's probably an important distinction. You also mentioned the term black box, which seems to be sort of an element of AI, meaning, I don't know if we're not quite sure how the answer is being arrived at, but any more thoughts there? You know, I think there are a couple of people doing good work with um, explainability of how they come to an answer. Um, I, I'd actually say that Epic is a good one of those. If you look at some of their clinical decision support tools and some of their algorithms that they have, whether it's uh, deterioration index or what have you, they put that right in the workflow for clinicians who want to be able to understand where a particular <coughs> excuse me, reference point is coming from. So if it says that a patient is... Uh, has a high deterioration score, you can click into it and see that age is driving part of it, a white count of 17 is driving a high percentage of that score, et cetera, et cetera. I think that explainability is important for, in particular, important for clinicians who are used to be used to making decisions based on data. I think in medicine, everything is a little bit of uh, a guess, even when you have, a, you know, let's say you have a white count of 13, is it because um, you're sick or it's and it, is it trending up or trending down? And so you have to take everything into context. Uh, and a data point that's generated by a machine is no different. There's a context around that that isn't necessarily um, divorceable from the rest of a patient. So um, having some level of view into what's driving it helps clinicians make decisions. And that, I mean, we're talking specific about uh, specifically about clinical uh, facing AI products, but I think that would be the same too if you're thinking about RevCycle and why a code is being recommended for this particular note versus another, because that coder will want to have the same level of detail into why is it a 99225 instead of a 99224, right? All right, very good. Chad, your thoughts? I think, um, you know, obviously agree with everything Patrick said. I, I think, yeah, the distinction to me is probably less important because, you know, while we may on, on an IT side have a framework where we, we might want to or or think that there is a distingu distingu distinguishing characteristic between AI and AI light, I'm not always sure that our, our customers will. They'll come to us with, you know, with an idea or with a thought or or with, you know, a way to solve a problem. And, you know, and so I think what we want to do is, you know, be able to effectively, you know, evaluate and and work with our clients and and I don't want to like try to force them into oh well is this AI or AI light that it seems you know somewhat immaterial and I would also say that you know as we look forward I think we would all agree this is 
incredibly rapidly evolving. Um, uh, Patrick, I think you pointed out, you know, last November, I think when the generative AI became sort of publicly accessible and, and, and really immediately available, you know, all of our landscape changed dramatically overnight. And, you know, and it's going to continue to rapidly evolve. And what we might even think of today as, as oh, this is AI, not AI light it might very rapidly move into something that is really well understood and adopted and, and commonplace, which will be AI light in six months. You know, we may think of, of today of, of something, you know, generating suggestive text as being really groundbreaking, you know, perhaps in six to nine months, that'll just be routine. So. That's a good point. That's a good point. Tina, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with the points that, that both Patrick and Chad made, you know, when I, originally first heard the term AI light, my initial reaction was to, to think about the symptom checkers or the chatbots that many teams have implemented today. Um, but then I immediately started thinking about the pace of change that we're living. What do we really define as AI currently? Because it isn't just generative AI. I mean, think about all of the examples that Patrick just mentioned. And there's a lot of this technology that's been in use. Um, and I, I, I really want our teams to think about what they have access to today while we're all learning together how we can better leverage generative AI as the growth and the maturity of that aspect of AI continues to change how we work over the next few years as well. So definitely that pace of change impacts, I think, how we view this. Um, and I agree with what Chad mentioned, which is I don't know if we should distinguish you know, between AI light and and others. I think it's being mindful today about how we're working together to collaborate and that our teams are aligned on how we're integrating this type of technology into our daily lives just to make things better and and hopefully safer, you know, for, for everybody. All right. Very good. Uh, next question. Um, Chad, we're going to start with you. Describe some of the AI and or AI light projects you've been involved with and any of the lessons that you've learned along the way so far? No, that, that's a good, I'll, um, we probably have more experience on what, what we might be talking AI light here. Um, and maybe we'll throw, you know, RPA or, or automation into that. Um, and then we're, we're still, I'll start with what we're doing right now from a, a true automation. Um, we are leveraging, our relationships with Epic and Microsoft pretty heavily. Um, I think we recognize that you know they have more capabilities than we do, but we're trying to figure out how to partner with them and really effectively use and, and stay current and relevant. We're we're piloting um, the auto draft in basket responses. We're piloting auto categorization of in basket, um, and we're also moving forward, you know, changing the predictive no-show model um, within Epic from the legacy to, you know, to the newer technology. Um, and we're also about to start our, our ambient listening pilot. So that's, we're still early on, I'm probably what I'll call sort of that, you know, maybe the, the newer full AI projects. Um, but I think that some of the lessons learned, and this is where I'll go back just, you know, maybe three years ago to, to automation. Um, again, on the hype cycle, it was, you know, if you went to, for those of us who went to Vive or, or Health, I thought every, you know, everyone there was uh, some form of automation and this was, this was going to, you know, revolutionize everything. 
And I think really rapidly we went through, and I saw this even internally, we went through multiple vendors. We went, um, you know, we went from pure play automation vendors like a UI path or a blue prism. And then we moved really quickly into some, you know, very domain specific offerings from certain vendors. And all of a sudden, really rapidly now, Microsoft has, has sort of caught up and we're already kind of moving into like our third generation of, you know, of, of going from, you know, from pure play vendors to niche domain vendors to all of a sudden kind of moving into where it's more um, just routine and mainstream. And so I think the the lesson learned is, you know, we have to, you know, it's overused, but we have to be agile. We've got to fail fast. You have to sort of understand where you are in the evolution of it and, and you know, and really be be ready to pivot and be ready to, you know, accept that what you've done has been great. You've learned from it, but it's it's able to move on. And so I, I expect that pattern to kind of repeat itself with AI um, or some of these new AI models or or capabilities. So I think that's probably my biggest lesson learned is just be ready to be agile. Dad, uh, follow up. What's we talk about an an organization doing AI like a health system? Like we embrace AI, we do AI. Um, when we say that, are we mostly saying? the vendors we use are using AI and, and thus we use AI or are we somehow doing AI outside of our vendor universe, doing it ourselves? I, I can speak for us. We're, I think we, we don't think we're going to build our own, you know, LLM. We don't think we'll, you know, create, um, you know, the, the core content that would be used. Um, we may, use commercially available things in, in a novel way where, like I said, we're, we're heavily partnered with Microsoft. Um, we're looking at, you know, the Azure native capabilities that we can leverage in-house for certain projects. We've got a couple, um, you know, really, really small things just to, again, more run probably right now for learning. Um, but yeah, so uh, for us, um, it's going to be more about, about partnering, mm-hmm. uh, and and really hoping that you you make the right bets on some of those partners, or like I said, be able to move move and pivot. But uh, I don't think we'll be we don't have a deep bench of 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 real data scientists or this type of capability. We've always you know, relied upon upon the vendor community for. So for us, you know, we're not an academic medical center. We don't have a huge bench of of computing power and or those types of in house resources. So we'll be looking more to the vendor community and partnering there. Patrick, is is that an important or interesting question or point, whether we're doing AI per se or we're doing it through our vendors, or is that kind of irrelevant and not meaningful? I think it's a you know, I think it's a difference without a distinction or a distinction without a difference, maybe, in that <clears throat> the human is still part of it, right? A clinician may still be at the end of the um, tool, uh, a coder, a rev cycle, uh, caregiver may be part of that and so whether or not it's a homegrown tool uh, or something provided by a vendor that we manage ultimately the people using it are still the people caring for our patients Um, so I think in that instance it doesn't necessarily really matter I think there is a role for a health system who has the capabilities and like Chad said you know probably primarily academic centers who have the time and the luxury of being able to um, spend time doing that kind of research or have maybe a dedicated team to that. I think we've all learned also, you know, health systems don't need to be dev shops and build their own software. I think the days of health systems 
I mean, everybody who built their own EHR in the 90s had to come back and replace it with something that they bought <laughs> from a commercial vendor in the 2010s. So um, I think we all learned from that. We Everybody has a couple of developers that you need for you know, SharePoint or internal tools, those kind of things. And I would put AI in the same category. We have slim margins like everybody in healthcare. And is it more valuable for us to spend those on building out a, a high quality AI dev team that can build out a model or would that be better served, you know, opening a new building in a community that has, has been uh, left behind? So I think when you ask, when you answer it that way, I think I'd much rather have a building for a patient who now doesn't have to drive 200 miles and now can go to some place in their own community. So I think when those, when it's weighed in that manner, it is hard for me to really justify building a, expensive dev team because the reality is you're still going to be competing for high quality talent with the folks who can afford to pay a quarter million or more a year per developer. Uh, very good. Uh, Patrick, do you want to talk about any of the projects that you worked on? You know, I think a couple of the things that we learned from doing an ambient listening project, like Chad mentioned, um, doing some RCM uh, automation, is that the human is still really important as part of it. I think it's easy to think about AI as some sort of um, magic bullet that you have a tool now that's smarter than you are and can you do all your documentation for you, or that's able to code twice as fast. But there's still a human element of, of training that. So a couple of the things that we learned in particular with ambient listening in terms of documentation is doctors still want their note to reflect their own personality and preferences. If you um, just have the out of the box note, then it's just the same as every other note that's created, regardless of who the clinician is that's talking. I think um, one of the nice nuances is that uh, when you practice medicine, you read a bunch of different doctors notes and you can always, there's. The variability is wide and some are better than others. And you always know who the good note writers are. And if you have AI that's just writing the note for you, you, you lose some of that nuance and some of the um, kind of specifics that you might that might make all the difference in terms of whether or not that's a good note that can help you make a diagnosis or not. So part of that is that that clinician needs to sit down and train it to be more of their style, just mm -hmm. like you would if you had a human scribe in the room with you. And the other element, if you think about uh, uh, an automation type tool, whether that's UiPath or some of the more healthcare specific ones, is that the people whose jobs are you're automating may initially or may permanently be hostile towards the tool and may be rooting for it to not be as successful as it could be, partly because if you're not managing expectations well in the beginning, you can have folks think that they're automating themselves out of a job, which may in fact be true. So you have to be mindful of how do we do this and, and keep the view of the human that's on the end of the tool that respects their role in caring for the community as part of the health system that we all work for. And Patrick, sometimes that's where you have to articulate that, um, we're willing to upskill you, retrain you. Uh, yes, your role may be going away, but that doesn't mean your job has to be gone. We can find right. another yeah, place no, for you. Yeah. There's no shortage of stuff to do in healthcare. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Tina, uh, lots there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely a lot there. You know, I the we're seeing a lot of uh, trends around a focus on RPA over the last year. 
Um, and this ongoing focus really more from a revenue cycle side to automate where we can and take advantage of workflow um, automation as best as possible. What's interesting is in talking with friends in the industry, I feel like this focus on clinical ops and the areas that I just heard Patrick and Chad mention are kind of the next big area of focus for everyone um, as we learn through you know, the maturity of things that we've done um, within our revenue cycle space and carry that into opportunities and where we see the growth happening in the technology as well in a clinical ops space also. Um, so, uh, you know, I continue to see teams building out and taking advantage of the things they have at their fingertips, like the predictive modeling and the natural language processing opportunities with the ambient listening technologies. Um, a lot in the in the uh, imaging world and imaging analysis and those types of things. So I feel like all of those, the focus in those areas is very common. And I'm excited to see us grow as an industry more into the clinical ops space as we embrace um, more generative AI opportunities. When I think about um, Chad and Patrick talking, you know, that age old, hey, where can we partner to take advantage of the technology that's available to us to have some cost savings and not have to build out a big team internally? I see a huge opportunity for teams and organizations to really embrace the whole prompt engineering training and really put the knowledge into our clinical front end and operational end users to treat reporting and the access to information they need differently and really take self-service to a whole different level. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that gets integrated into the way that we work and, and hopefully reduce some of the burden on our IT teams. I mean, we all know that there's a whole lot of time and energy put into operational reporting. And so I'm optimistic that with the integration and training, we can give our teams around prompt engineering training, citizen development, that kind of approach to really putting the knowledge of how to interact with ChatGPT and get you know, the data they need at their fingertips without having to understand how to build or code, that kind of thing. It's just going to be a game changer for our IT teams and for you know, our clinical and operation end users too. Dina, what, when you're hearing from uh, potential customers um, and engagements, are, are you getting general sort of inquiries about, hey, I just want to make sure that we're doing what we should be doing around AI. I'm not sure what to do, but I want to be educated when my CEO uh, asks me what we're doing around AI, because that's probably, what are we doing around AI? I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what I'm not supposed to be doing. So just tell me more about sort of generally the kind of questions you're getting. Yeah, I, I really feel like everyone is in the same space of really getting the leadership teams together and working through the this question of how are we going to define AI as a team, as a leadership team, and how are we going to measure the value of what we're going to invest in? That age-old ROI question that you know that every executive team keeps a close eye on, um, and that really comes back to you know creating and thinking differently about how we're working together. So, are we going to create an AI-first guiding principle, right? And how is that going to help inform our strategic planning decisions moving forward? 
Are we willing to be more agile than ever as a leadership team because of the pace of change, which Chad mentioned earlier, and the growth in the market? We really don't want to think beyond the 12-month marker because there's so much we're learning and growing as an industry together around this technology. So everyone, I feel like, is in the same space of really sitting around the table together as, as a leadership team and going through an understanding of what's happening in the market. What is the impact that we have to be aware of? How are we and where are we going to invest you know, for, for in the right areas for our team and organization? And how is that going to be measured to make sure we're getting the value that we need? So I feel like it's a lot of educational workshops and open and transparent conversations that leadership teams are trying to push their way through so that everybody can be in alignment and really, you know, again, stay on top of what's happening and what they need to be uh, aware of and thinking about and how that's going to change the way we're functioning over the next few years together. Excellent. Very good. All right. Next question. Uh, who are the key leaders that must work together in a health system on AI projects? I don't know if this is any different than a typical, you know, large project, or perhaps there's someone who you need to include or not include. Pro I can't imagine that, but maybe someone else you need to include that you don't typically think of. Getting governance right around AI seems to be especially important. What are your thoughts? I think let's leave security off because I think that needs its own moment of focus. But um, who's got to work together? Uh, Chad, what are your thoughts? Um, I think it's it's sort of you know, for us so far. It's been the usual suspects and and who you would expect. Uh, you know, so it's obviously it's our. Our, our analytics team, our digital teams, our, our core IT teams, um, and then the you know the appropriate clinical leadership from you know an initial an initial governance um, obviously rest cycle as well. Um, but then as we've started to evolve in there, I think different. I think some of the early use cases and and the the early opportunities present themselves a little differently depending upon your specialty. So clearly, you know, for us. Yeah, the the early returns and and some of the early you know things for us to look at are going to probably be imaging related, um, you know, and whether that's cardiology or radiology or or other groups there. And I know and and also um, our laboratory is very inter interested in some digital pathology. So I think we'll we'll focus ourselves in in the things that are probably a little more tangible right now and easy for us to get there. So I don't think you know there's for us there's no sort of like secret aha with governance, you know, good governance, the, the principles and the foundation of good governance um, for for many different things are, are well tried and true, I think, in our environment, I would suspect in many environments, um, it's just more, I, I think this is where the charter and the guiding principles and having really clear alignment on, on the role of the governance group um, and, and, you know, how how is it going to be effective and and agile and support the organization less less so than than you know the who patrick i completely agree i think the only difference i would say is maybe we're a little bit friendlier with our compliance folks um, than we would be with some of the standard software you know <clears throat> generally you think about this the compliance review is the first little part when you're looking at doing a project uh, I think with the AI components, because of the ethics concerns and and elements there, it's one of those that you want to spend a little bit more time with your compliance team just to make sure that 
what you're doing doesn't change the way that we're caring for people or do it in a way that introduces extra bias, which you don't want to have. So I, I think the rest of it is still the same. A good governance is good governance, whether it's an AI project or an infrastructure project or a new application. And I think we want to maintain the, the some level of repeatability uh, regardless. At, at some point, <clears throat> many of our tools, maybe most of our tools will have AI. And if we've completely updated our governance and uh, uprooted something that has been working and changed it to something that is unique to AI, then you now you have a separate um, flow. And it, I think it, it opens up for an opportunity for mistake. And so uh, I think we view it the same way that follow the same process, follow your same governance, and um, just treat it with the same level of scrutiny that you would any other uh, big application. Pina, I agree. Yeah, I think the existing frameworks are really important to continue taking advantage of and leveraging. I just think the nuances of the things that should be discussed are different, um, you know, depending on the type of investment that a team is making. Um, so I, I think, you know, most teams have have a framework in place, you know, are facilitating really important discussions uh, in an ongoing way. I think taking the time to make sure that there's, you know, alignment about what is being invested in again, and then the nuances of what that, of what the impacts are. So Patrick's comment about, you know, leaning into compliance and security and all of these different things that we may not necessarily do as much um, in other areas, I think is really important. Um, I think the other thing that I would just encourage teams to be thinking about, you know, is that everything we've done to really embrace a data culture across our teams is going to completely change, I think, and be impacted. Um, in other words, a lot of the data management conversations that we have today in the way that we work is going to shift over the next two years. And some of the things that we do today are going to go away and free us up um, to manage our data very, very differently um, and in a more automated fashion. And so I, when I think about governance, my mind goes there and the pressure on all of our lovely you know, chief data and analytics officers, chief digital officers, to be thinking ahead about the impacts of those things and bringing those thoughts and concerns into the governance discussions. I think that's really important because we're, we're going to experience a lot of change together over the next two years, specifically there. Excellent. Tina, let's start with you then on this, just a, a little security focus. Um, one of the, the things that I've heard recently is, uh, you know, you can't have people all over the enterprise using chat GPT, dumping in God knows what, perhaps some sort of proprietary information. I've heard different stories yeah. about different companies and source code pop because I guess it, it, it goes, whatever you put in could come out. Think of like a wormhole, you know, they talk about like space, like a wormhole. You go in, you don't know where you're coming out. So you dump in a whole bunch of data and then all of a sudden it pops out somewhere else. And maybe it was PHI or maybe it was some sort of, uh, you know, secret and now you got an issue. Is is this a unique thing here with with uh, this kind of Chat GPT stuff? Where security, we got to get and the CISO. You know, we didn't talk too much about a CISO, and I think I've heard the CISO mention. We mentioned compliance, but um, yeah. your thoughts there? Yeah, well, definitely agree. Our our CISOs need to be at the table with us for sure in our in our governance structure. Um, I'm also working off the assumption they're there now. So just to be clear. Um, 
you know, the, the thing that jumps immediately to my mind specifically around our CISOs and their area of focus with this is that I think about it no differently in the way that we went through the change of mo- moving and migrating and embracing cloud-based technologies, right? There were a whole lot of things that we needed to learn with that transition. And our CISOs were very involved in that. Um, and I, I feel that's the same type of focus that we need as we continue to embrace you know, new opportunities, leveraging any kind of AI, generative AI or other, um, as we grow. So mm-hmm. those that's my 90-second summary. Would love to hear what Chad and, and Patrick think as well. Patrick, let's start with you. I have to agree. I think, you know, <clears throat> we view it as any door, any open door is a, is an open door, right? If you can get in the building one way or the other, it's something that we want to have some level of understanding of who's coming in and going. Um, to that end, it's I, I think it's the same, you know, part of that governance process is including your CISO at the table or your security team or what have you. I don't know that it's, I think the scrutiny is different, um, but the level of compliance that you need to have with your overall security intake processes or will need to be roughly the same. Very good, Chad. Security thoughts. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add. Uh, you know, like I said, I'd echo what, what Tina says. I think our, you know, our information security reviews and policies and, you know, the way we view that is is probably similar, but, you know, with a different flavor, I, I do think, you know, I would add, or I would, I would, echo what Patrick said, that the compliance probably takes a little more importance in conjunction with it's it's the privacy, security, compliance altogether um, that need to be considered in, you know, in totality as opposed to just a pure information security review or, or perspective. I'd say just to add to what I was, everything's been said so far, and I'd be curious if Chad and Tina have different thoughts, but when we looked at our overall policies around it, we ended up not changing our policy at all. We thought about doing an AI specific one, but we really realized that our acceptable use policy and uh, software approval use policy covers it. It's an application. Uh, and we didn't want to overdo it and then um, write ourselves into a corner by being too specific about it. So we felt that the broad view of our acceptable use policy covered pretty much any use of, of any AI tool that we could think of. That's great. But I, I admit I don't know that we've done that. Perhaps we have, but that, that specific kind of lens um like you said we've so far we've looked at everything through our traditional information security lens um but that's a it's a great point to kind of think about you know do a, do existing policies need to be modified or updated to reflect the the change in scope or perhaps a change of functionality so i would point. say one more thing that you may want to think about and that what we're doing right now is updating your um, consent to treat and conditions of admission to acknowledge that the data that may be generated as part of your visit um, could be used in a tool. And of course, it will be used in an ethical way. Um, but recognizing in our case, at least, that uh, we didn't comment on that. And I think it's important just to recognize, just like you would, that to say there's maybe security cameras in the video and you may be on a video, right? Yep. Those are all great points. And I think, yeah, we're we're literally undertaking that now for you're a little ahead of us. Sounds like on ambient listening, but as we embark upon that, you know, yeah, all those consents and all those notifications are being updated now. Tina, anything you want to add there? I, no, I was going to mention the consent to use. So I love that Patrick mentioned that. Um, I think that's a really important aspect, at least in this early adoption, as I call it. I think 
like with anything else, like like we saw the maturity of our policies around cloud-based technologies be modified a little bit. I think we're, I'm expecting to see the same type of thing over the next few years as we learn and grow with this uh, technology in use also. All right, very good. We have uh, a couple audience questions here. Uh, interesting one here. This week, class noted that the chief AI, oh, another another chief, right? Chief AI officer roles are coming up. Um, and and from what everyone is saying, it shouldn't really be coming up, uh, at least from some of the things you're saying about we don't need new policies. We kind of got this covered. Governance is fairly the same. Um, but your thoughts, uh, Patrick, let me start with you. Your thoughts on we need another chief in the kitchen? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I go back to um, you know the story I like to tell about chief uh, CEOs that health, that uh, companies used to employ in the early part of the 20th century, and everybody had a CEO. They were trying to figure out what to do with the E. It was electricity. I don't see too many chief electrical officers around anymore. I don't think 100 years from now we'll see too many chief AI officers either. It's if it, if the CIO role even still exists 100 years from now, I would think it'll be part of that. Um, so I feel like it, we all need to be well versed in it, whether it's a, you're a CIO or a CMO or a chief nursing officer or a chief executive officer, the other CEO. I think you need to be at least versed enough to be able to understand the benefits and risks. And I think it's it's kind of like uh, security. It's everybody's responsibility. And I would consider understanding AI a transformative tool to be everybody's responsibility as well. All right. Uh, Tina, I think we don't probably don't need a chief. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm in agreement. Please don't create another silo to all my friends in the industry. Uh -huh. <laughs> Just, it's not helpful, yeah. you know. And I and I feel like we have this tendency that when there's something new to embrace, yeah. like I'll even reference like care at home or digital virtual health, we go create a leadership role because we think it needs its own area of focus instead of really embracing this concept that. All of these things have to be integrated across the continuum on behalf of patients and really, you know, changing the way we work together. So I, I just can't say enough. Please, um, please don't no, do it. We don't need to create. Yes, <laughs> we do not need to create well, another Chad, silo. Let's just Chad collaborate differently. <laughs> what, if, what if Chad was aiming for it? Now we're ruining his party. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I respect Chad and Patrick a great deal. I think they're both talented and they have a lot to add in, in terms of their leadership. So, um, no, we just don't need another silo. <laughs> well, we we're making somebody unhappy because somebody out there is uh, just yeah. just took the role and we're we're raining on their parade. But anyway, I say, that's, this, I say this with love. With Anthony. love, it's all said, <laughs> Chad. We're saying it with love, right, to everyone. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. No, I and I'm totally aligned with with my friends here. We don't we don't need another another title to confuse people between the chief digital officer, the chief analytics officer, and the chief AI officer, and the chief information officer. Like I said, we'll just create more headaches for ourselves. Right, right. All right. Another audience question from our good friend Bill Spooner. Uh, what's your perspective on AI standardization, such as that advocated by the Coalition for Health AI? Patrick, is that something you're familiar with? You know, I don't know it, so now I'm going to have to go ask uh, ChatGPT what it means. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I so I don't know. I, I get but what it. about what about this? Is it is it in your when you hear AI standardization? Does that make does that sound like something you're familiar with or no? You know, and maybe I'm going to be way off base here, but I would take it back to the explainability and 
getting out of that black box nature of things, mm-hmm. um, making sure that whatever we're doing does have that level of explainability. So I hope to learn by the end of this webinar what it is. Maybe I'll yeah. maybe I'll ask the internet. Yeah, I love explainability. By the way, because my twelve year old says. I have a teacher who doesn't even care if it's right or wrong. They just want to see your work and they're happy. So that's explainability, right? Showing your work. How you got to the answer. Um, Tina, do you, do you, any familiarization with this coalition for health AI? Uh, You know, I don't have a detailed understanding, but at a high level, I think that um, the intentions are in the right place, but I also worry that because we have so much to learn that there's this desire to dig in and establish standards before we really have a good handle on how much this is going to change and the things we actually need to be worried about. Mm. Um, so I guess, you know, I my two cents on this is let's not be afraid to keep an open mind and learn together and, you know, not rush to create things that, you know, may create a problem down the road. All right, Bill, you're you're a little Bill Spooner, our friend Bill Spooner, industry legend. He's a little ahead of us on this. Chad, you you don't know this one either, do you? This co- I, Bill, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I wish, I, but it, you know, but it does strike. And I, I'm not even sure how to how to think about the term standardization in this right. context. It's it's sort of an, an interesting thing, but it does you know point out the issue. And, and we've thought about this even internally when we talked about our you know let's say in house capabilities or what we could develop models on and what we might look at we have an incredible if you think about the, the the universe of knowledge we have an incredibly small subset of data and so if you're training something or looking at it maybe this word part of that standardization is you're going to get different outcomes or or different insights based upon how it's trained and then you know and you know and do we want to look at at a you know agree upon a, a subset of healthcare data that that is repeatable and usable for these different use cases um, as opposed to, you know, I, I do wonder if if you take Meta's capabilities versus Google's versus Microsoft's, are you going to get the, the same outcomes and the same insights and and move forward in the same ways? Um, it's, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question, one that I, I haven't thought about a lot. All right. Uh, we're going to launch our fun poll. So I want everyone to participate in this quite a simple poll, but I think it'll be fun. Who is pushing AI harder in health systems, clinicians or IT leaders? Uh, so if everyone wants to take a minute and answer that or a second, we will get back to the results in a minute. We'll have our panelists guess at the results, kind of like Price is Right. You know, it'll be fun. Um, let's go to our ask a co-panelist section, my favorite section. Uh, Tina, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? I do. I think something that we haven't really highlighted yet, but is something that I think many exec teams have top of mind is, you know, how are the two of you really ensuring that you're not overspending or over investing? Because I feel like every vendor is approaching your teams with some kind of AI add-on, new subscription, you know, et cetera. So how are you avoiding an overspend? I just stopped checking my email altogether. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know, I, I think it goes back to we really rely on our governance to be the yay nay. Um, we want our IT shop to be the one that says yes to everything, but 
have our governance group be the ones that says these are the right things to be working on. You know, I think we're willing to learn from everybody who has a tool. Um, and it, your question is interesting because it's it is somewhat similar to a question I'd like to ask the uh, two of you as well. But um, <clears throat> really. IT shouldn't be the folks saying no. We should be working on strategic projects that move the organization forward. And if our governance believes that it's an AI tool, then it's an AI tool. And if it's working on our foundational core skills, or then it's working on our foundational core skills. So um, we we say yes to what our governance says is important. And, and thankfully, um, they're pretty discerning in terms of how they're spending. They want to spend our money and our time. Yeah, exact same answer for us. Yeah, and I think you know Patrick and I are 100 aligned on on the role of IT and and that spend. We, you know, we we make sure that we're highly aligned with the organization and that we're following um, with the strategy and the, and the priorities of the organization and, and where these where our governance agrees collectively that these are the right investments to make for our organization and we follow it. Um, so I'm not I'm not actually overly concerned about about overspending or spending incorrectly in this area um, because we'll we'll do it with you know full transparency and support of the organization. Right, because yeah. it stays within some of the existing structures. We don't have it yep. doesn't come outside of governance because it's AI and we could spend whatever we want. Correct. It, it kind of goes to a question I'd like to ask both you, Tina and Chad, and that's. Related to that, I think there are a lot of single-use AI tools right now. I think it's the reason that stores like Williams-Sonoma can exist. You can go buy a strawberry hauler. And I think right now, health systems are buying strawberry haulers, and they're buying grapefruit spoons, and they're buying soft-boiled egg openers. And at some point, a knife would be able to do all of those tools, but we don't have an AI knife yet. So I'd be curious how you approach the need to solve a problem today with a strawberry hauler, but recognizing that in the future, we can just buy a knife. What's that knife for you? When's it coming? Wow, that's a great question, Chad. Yeah, no, it is a great question. I think it goes back to what Tina and I both kind of said too. I think we all have to recognize that we are very early on. And I think I kind of go back to the RPA models where we quickly move through different types of vendors from you know, and all of a sudden, and then we sort of end up with with that knife or, you know, for us, it's, you know, we've got a more ubiquitous tool that that can solve a lot of things. So I think recognize that we don't have the knife yet, at least I haven't seen it yet. Um, and but recognizing fully that it's probably going to come. Um, so don't over don't over invest or, or over index on, on one particular technology or capability. And and I love Tina's idea, too, of, you know, all these things are just maybe the, the furthest time frame and horizon we could look at as 12 months. So. so I shouldn't sign that seven-year contract. I just <laughs> I don't think so. I do not think so. Yeah, I agree. I think short-term, you know, if you want to, I think it's fascinating to just watch the amount of opportunities that are out there and new developments. So if there's a team and there's a culture that says, hey, we really have a, you know, a strong use case to try out, you know, this strawberry hauler, to use your analogy, Patrick, for, for a few months. I think that short-term approach is really probably the best right now, especially keeping in mind that we're seeing, you know, news and announcements every day from our largest partners, every EHR vendor, every ERP platform, you know, and more that are all working on integrating, 
and creating new opportunities with generative AI and their products as well to take advantage of. So I think like anything, you know, in the short run, if there's a strong business use case and there isn't an existing solution with one of your current partners for that, I think it's absolutely okay to really lean in and try that with the intention knowing that that should be under review before there's ever a longer term decision made to to really invest in and you know grow with whatever that technology is. All right, excellent. Chad, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? I, I do for Patrick and maybe but actually probably for both of you, but but Patrick specifically being a physician, I, I'm not a clinician, but you said something today that that kind of sparked my mind. And that was, you know, when you read notes, you can see personalities and perspectives and, and can kind of discern a good note from a bad note. I remember 10 years ago at, at the forefront of, of, you know, wide adoption of EMRs, there was a lot of concern about note bloat. Um, and a lot of the the automation that came and you know dot phrases and all these things and everyone was really worried that it was just gonna it was gonna compound note bloat. Are we it, does this have the potential or to compound that problem even more where you go from note bloat to then you know note bloat where they're all identical or, or and how might we think about that and or you know avoid that? Yeah, I great question. I think it probably does have that risk. Um, I think if you look at a bunch of notes, I don't know, pull pull them out of your own system, and I guarantee that 85% of the note, maybe even more, 95% of the note is exactly the same, and you wouldn't be able to tell um, left from right and who wrote what, because so much of that note is just pulled in automatically, right? It's a labs that from the last week, it's the every radiology study that the patients ever had in their hospitalization, really doesn't add any value at all. I think there's two sections that clinicians use that are uh, actually useful. It's the subjective part where the doc and the patient interact and they, the patient tells their story. And there's the assessment and plan part, which is typically at the bottom, but sometimes it's at the top, where they, um, the doctor effectively gives their diagnosis and opinion and plan. And those are the only two places that I think are really where humanity is coming into the note right now. If you're automating that now and having a robot write the subjective part, you lost half of it. And if you have a robot suggesting your diagnoses and plan, you just lost the other half of it. So I think, you know, we want to reduce clinically irrelevant variation. But I think we, if we start to erase humanity, we're going to lose the art part of medicine. Medicine is an art and a science, and we can science the heck out of it. And we have for the last hundred years. But if we lose the art, then I'm not sure what we have anymore. So I think be careful about it to the clinicians who are using it tool. Wow. That's, a, that's pretty, pretty deep stuff, Patrick. That's excellent. Um, all right. Let's go to our poll question. Um, I want to have the panelists, you know, obviously not the hugest sample size, not super scientific, but um what do you think? What's your bet, Chad? Do you think uh, who do you think is pushing harder based on the poll? Clinicians or IT leaders? What's your guess how this is going to come out when I reveal the results? My guess is it's going to be clinicians, but I will tell you in our organization, I think it's it's equally shared um, optimism and interest. Okay, but you're going with clinicians. Tina. I mean, I'm going with clinicians, but I, I think right. I, I, in my organization, it's, it's probably 50-50. Okay, well, you can't qualify it, Chad. You just got to give an answer, <laughs> okay. right? It's, it's I'm going to go with clinicians. All right, Tina? That's funny. I um, 
boy, I feel like it's pretty equal in all honesty. Um, I, I actually am going to choose IT though for this poll because I feel like there's been such a push uh, with a lot of the EHR vendors and others that are trying to roll out very quickly some really exciting add-ons. And I know the teams are really excited to embrace that. So for now, that's my pick. Okay. Patrick? You said it was like the price is right. So I'm going to put one penny on IT leaders. <laughs> IT leaders. IT leaders. Well, there's your results. Uh, 57% oh. clinicians. So it's very close, uh, but the clinicians are up. And I think, Tina, you're probably right. It's probably pretty split. So there's yeah. a lot of enthusiasm on both sides, which is really interesting. I don't know if that's usually the case or if it's usually um, coming from one or the other. But so what do I what do I get for winning? What do you get? Uh, a mug. You're wow, going to get a yeah, health system CIO one. And, and HealthLink Advisors co-branded mug that is guaranteed to work at least through one cycle in the dishwasher. And then not so much. Um, quick final thoughts. We're just about out of time. Um, final thoughts. Best piece of advice. Someone in your position, Patrick or Chad, someone at a comparable health system, you frame it up. A little differently for you, Tina, but someone in your position at a comparable sized health system thinking about this, got some questions in their head on how to move forward. What's your best piece of advice? Patrick, let's start with you. Don't take out the human. Um, healthcare yeah. is the most human thing we can ever do. If we take the human out altogether, then what's the point? So keep the human in there somewhere. I couldn't agree more, which is why I hate phone trees, right? I mean, nobody likes phone trees. So every time we... Mm -hmm. We move forward doesn't mean we move forward in the right direction or in a direction that will satisfy our customers. So, Chad, final thought. Um, I, I think just as we've talked about before, but I think it's really important, you know, um, the formula for effective governance in your organization, it doesn't change just because it's a it's a new technology. Um, you know, be disciplined. Don't get caught up in the hype, um, you know, and recognize that we're still really early you know, in this evolution and a lot will change in, in 12, 16, 18 months. So true, right? Governance is an IT leader's best friend, right? Because, hey, you guys made the decision. Um, Tina, your thoughts, your final thought. Yeah, I would say educate your teams, um, create a vision to keep everybody aligned on that accounts for this. And please do not create another silo. <laughs> yes. No chief AI <laughs> officer, right? No. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that's about all we had time for today. You can use the final slide uh, for your continuing education needs as uh, your certificate. You'll receive an on-demand uh, an email when the on-demand version of this is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy from our team and register on our site for upcoming panels. With that, I very much want to thank our wonderful panel, Dr. Patrick Woodard, Chad Jones, and Tina Burbine. I want to thank HealthLink Advisors for sponsoring and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew.